You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Good morning. I'm excited to welcome John Nolan, high school English teacher at Alameda High School in Alameda, California, to the Ed Curation podcast today. Thanks for joining us, John. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me here. Yes. Well, I haven't been to your classroom in a while, but I remember the last time that I was there and we hosted a peer learning lab in your class and you focused on facilitating student discourse with a very culturally and linguistically diverse group of students. And that was super exciting for all of our teacher attendees to witness. And you have now moved on to Alameda High School. So I'm excited to hear what you're doing over there. Oh, thanks. Yeah, the work continues. (laughs) Of course. So how long have you been teaching now, John? Looks like I finished 35 years. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. You don't look like you could have been teaching for 35 years. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, time flies. (laughs) So what keeps you going back to the classroom for 35 years? What do you like about, about your work? It's the learning environment and the students, that atmosphere of discovery and discourse, I think. And so tell our listeners about Alameda High School, the types of students you teach there, what the environment's like. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a traditional, very traditional mainstream high school, predominantly Anglo and Asian, smaller numbers of the rest of the demographics, and a lot of English learners with many languages as, as first languages. And it's a big school. It's been around for a long time, and they just finished renovating the historical building that had been closed down for earthquake repairs. So a lot going on there right now. And you teach some of these English language development courses, is that right? Yeah, I have two courses. This coming year, both of the courses are for long-term English learners. We have a great district staff and also coaching staff that have uh, kind of themed the course as a social justice curriculum. I bet that's engaging to the students. Yeah, I think it is engaging and it's also challenging, but it's also exciting as well. And it's been interesting to see (laughs) the way the discourse in that class on that topic has been going through some interesting changes recently, (laughs) actually. I'm sure. So with that, is there a particular curriculum product or resource that you find helpful in that class? The kind of the fundamental resources called Constructing Meaning by Susanna Dutro. And it's a very comprehensive curriculum resource. And it's very, very aligned with the English learner standards in California. I think that particular curriculum was developed at the same time as the English Learner Standards was being written, I guess, several years ago now. So it's just super aligned. It's really hands-on activities and also has a lot of good resources that help me with planning and backwards mapping and targeting what the students' needs are. So I've been using it for several years now. I'm still like learning how to explore it and, and take advantage of it. Okay, so you said you teach two long-term English learner classes. Are they two different levels? or Because I'm imagining if this is aligned to EL standards, that it might not be 
grade-based, but like English acquisition-based. Can you talk a little bit about how this curriculum is set up or how you use it and for what groups of students? It would be an elective, essentially. So it's not a a course for English credit. It's elective credit. Students are encouraged to take the course until they get redesignated. And usually it's just like an English learner class. And in our district, it's been using kind of just a textbook resource with annotations for the teacher to kind of just plow through a textbook with, you know, anthology type reading. But what we did in the district is developed a more activity-based curriculum with just pulled out texts and different resources that are kind of aligned with a more kind of historical survey of the Americas up to current times, of course, that according to some students has been kind of neglected in their history education in school. Interesting. So your district encourages students who are still developing their English skills to take this elective course until they're redesignated. And you and your district have work together to kind of add a historical element to the selective course. Yeah, so we homegrew the curriculum. And so it was, it was really challenging and it's still evolving. This will be, this coming year will be the third year that we've had this course. So how much of a role does constructing meaning play in all of that? So constructing meaning plays a huge role. It's, it's kind of the foundation of the way the class operates. But just to give you more context, Basically, all English learners are like totally mainstream in regular English classes now. They still have English learner support classes to help them, you know, just develop basic English, but they're also in regular English classes. It would be like pretty much impossible to serve the students' needs in a mainstream English class without some kind of scaffolding resource to help the English learners in the class because the English learners go from very introductory level English skills to, you know, more intermediate English skills. So many of them are, are barely conversational. It's, it's really challenging to get them talking and get them participating in the classroom activities. So constructing meaning is really focused on providing a lot of student talk activities that all students can participate in. So I can use those resources to varying degrees in just regular mainstream English classes as well. And they're inclusive student talk activities that encourage everybody to participate. So you have a lot more crosstalk of different ability levels. So more English acquisition. Fantastic. Can you tell us about one of the student talk activities that you've liked to use with your different English language learners? Yeah. So for example, we're all kind of familiar with a basic think, pair, share type of activity, but What Susanna Dutro does is she has more explicit about it. She has more explicit like writing structures for students to use to help them think about what they want to say and then write down what they're going to say and then talk to other people about what their thoughts are and then take notes on other people's thoughts and then report out what your thoughts are to the class after going through like more explicit language thinking and talking and writing before you have to report to the whole class. So it really gets students talking. And also a lot of the scaffolding is also sentence frames that have the syntax that students need to acquire to participate academically in all of their classes. 
So for example, conversation cards or also flip books, those are like out on the desks all the time. And when students are having trouble thinking of what to say or what to write, I can say, here, try to plug in your thoughts to this frame. And then inevitably, they're, they're able to get their thoughts out. Students at all levels use them, not necessarily just the English learners, because all the students are still acquiring academic English and academic syntax to varying degrees. Wow, that sounds like a fantastic resource. I love that you're taking Think, Pair, Share and even breaking it down further to give students more think time, it sounds like, right? Where they can kind of prepare the way they want to respond, put it in writing, get some, you know, think time and practice, and then to actually work on those listening skills, listen what each other are saying, and then write that down and report out. It it just sounds like it's going a lot deeper in a way that would really help new English learners, new language learners. Yeah, that's the idea. And more explicit. And then to have these conversation cards and flipbooks all around that students can constantly be accessing for those terms. And like you're saying, the phrases that they need to be using in any sort of academic class. I mean, that would help that would help even fully developed English speakers just to practice with proper academic discourse, I would think. Yeah. And when you talk about discourse, then you're talking about also there's appropriate syntax for appropriate types of cognitive thinking. There's a particular syntax is, you know, different sentence structures that you would use for cause and effect or for compare contrast or for various different, you know, types of thinking. So it also helps people to become more aware of, you know, what kind of thinking writers are doing when they're reading something. And they're also more aware of the kinds of thinking they're expected to use in their writing when they're responding to prompts as well. So it's, it's just more cognitive awareness, which is really cool. So how did you first learn about constructing meaning? I first became aware of it when I guess the context of this is model curriculum standards. There's a lot of staff development going on in our district during that era, which was a few years ago. And then At the same time that was happening, the district was also responding to a lawsuit where they were not responding to the needs of English learners fast enough. So they were exploring a new curriculum. And so that's where Susanna Dutro came in. And then in the model curriculum standards development, as that was emerging, that's when the English learner standards came out in California as well. And so, as I had mentioned earlier, the English learner standards and Susanna Dutro's work were perfectly aligned. She was very aware of the new standards coming out. And so all that professional development was coming out. So I guess five or six years ago. So that's when I first started getting professional development. And I really liked it. I just started using it right away. Then I was using it at an island quite a bit. And the students, you know, loved using all those materials. You know, it helped them to have that structure, you know, because their conversation, especially there, but at all schools, I think, is so conversational in the classroom. It's really common for the teacher to kind of adapt to the student teenage conversational sentence structures, you know, and and slang and just Mm -hmm. cultural ways of expressing themselves, as opposed to students adopting a more academic structure instead. So it does help to enhance the academic tone. I've just gradually been, you know, using it more conveniently or experimentally. And because there's been a lot of really good coaching and professional development and collaboration opportunities, I've been able just to keep getting deeper and deeper into it. 
And so what did you get when you accessed these? Have you gotten more and more materials over time or did you attend a training? It sounds like you have these kinds of resources, the conversation cards and the flipbooks in the classroom. If one of our listeners is in another state that is newer in their work with English language learners and they were to check out Constructing Meaning and Susanna Dutro, how would they go about getting the resources and, and what would they get? Well, the way it was rolled out in our district is we had professional development that you go through and there were pullout days, like maybe five days over the course of the year. And in coordination with that professional development, they give you a big green box with tons of materials in it that you can use in the classroom. Everything from the flip charts to a board game, kind of a scaffolded situation to different types of kind of like worksheet type activities that are interactive that students do with each other. And in addition to that, uh, there is also coaching provided by the district in coordination with the implementation of constructing meaning. In addition to that, the coaching also had collaboration opportunities for teachers to work through what they're learning in the classroom. And so is there a scope and sequence with this work or is it just a bunch of resources that you kind of determine when to use and and with what texts? Well, that's what comes in with the professional development aspect of it is they basically go through a planning cycle. And then there's like kind of a criteria that I think is also in the English learner standards, which is kind of like the ideal lesson plan, like what would happen in a classroom during a typical lesson with English learners in it. And it's like a criteria where you would say that you would, you know, have some kind of scaffolding for the students to use and that you would have student talk activities during the lesson. So it it involves a lot of planning. And then as you go through kind of a process of planning out your, your lessons and your units or whatever, you kind of think through how you're going to include the necessary elements to make sure that you're developing student talk and you're addressing English learners' needs as a part of your overall teaching and your lessons. And then what I found particularly useful is the element of backwards mapping that they emphasize. And this is something that I've kind of done cursorily throughout the years, but now I'm doing it. What I'm finding is that the more that I do that, the more that I understand where the real challenges are in the classroom, because as we both know, or any teacher knows, is that a lot of what is happening in the classroom is really a projection of kind of what's going on in the teacher's head. So if the teacher is having issues or problems with, a, with the content or with classroom behavior, then that's going to be acted out in the classroom. So I think this curriculum is helping me to develop my reflection skills, where I really think about what I want the students to learn and what is challenging about it and how do I help the students deal with those challenges. And so like, for example, if I ask them to write an essay and then if I have a prompt to that essay and then I, before the lesson, write an essay myself according to that prompt, I immediately start seeing places where I have trouble with that prompt that I maybe didn't think I would have And if I hadn't discovered that in the planning process, I would run into that as a problem in the classroom and it would be easy for me just to blame the students for not getting it, Mm. whereas it was really my misunderstanding that was creating that gap for the students. 
So it kind of helps you by planning and reflecting to fill in the gaps ahead of time so you can more explicitly teach those challenge areas to the students and help them to fill in those gaps. Wow, that sounds like you, through the implementation of this curriculum, through the professional development, you've really gained some exciting insights. It sounds like a lot of planning work, right? So are you actually doing all of the large assignments that you're asking your students to do? Yeah. Another thing that I've found by doing that is it gives me material to use in the lessons. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like I'm going away in a cave and spending all this time planning. It's like planning in real time. And it's planning that's connected to what I'm actually doing in the classroom. So Mm -hmm. it's really useful. And one thing I find is that, for example, and this is kind of something they show you how to do is They have this thing called a student sample response to something that they're supposed to do in the class. If I'm trying to do what I'm asking them to do, then I could imagine myself as a student, but then it can all be more natural and it's just the way that I would respond to it. But inevitably, I find trouble that I'm having with the task. And what that helps me to do is to think about what I'm doing more closely and then I come out with something like maybe a sentence, maybe a cause and effect sentence that would help me to, you know, respond to the prompt better. And then I can pull that out and put it on a PowerPoint and show my students like this is an example of what I'm asking you to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm explicitly demonstrating, showing them what I'm looking for. Then I can go through it again and pull out the content and just leave the syntax of the sentence. Mm -hmm. And then I can have them practice and fill in the blanks with their own thoughts. They're learning how to use the syntax. That is the problem they would have run into. Wow. I mean, it reminds me of when I was first learning to teach English, I was taught, give them a prompt, spend a lot of time making a good prompt and then Mm -hmm. give them a prompt and then grade their papers and give them feedback. That method was missing what you're talking about, which is modeling the stages in between, giving extra practice opportunities. I mean, it just sounds like a place where students probably feel really well supported to be successful. So can you think about, John, back before you learned all of this, before you learned about constructing meaning and the syntax and the student talk opportunities and things, how were you teaching your English language learners before and what specifically has improved, you know, dramatically with this adoption? Well, before, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I just wasn't serving their needs. I wasn't getting fine-grained enough in what I needed to explicitly show them how to do. So it was just a big pool of frustration or denial, I would give them an assignment and I would get their writing back and and it would just be really cursory and not very developed and it wouldn't be very academic. And then I would just be frustrated. You could do all the things teachers do at that point. You could say, okay, let me come up with student samples and show them, you know, this is better than this. But it's so after the fact, everybody's gone through all this work that's been so unproductive. It's just kind of a soul killer, you know? I'm just really grateful that There's this realm of academic research where people are learning how do English learners learn English? What is it that they need in order to acquire English more quickly in the classroom in real time without just sending them off to a silo to go through a textbook 
you know, who knows what's going on there in the classroom. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. So what results are you seeing with the students? I'm getting a lot more readable writing. So when I grade their work, I'm like, wow, they're using, they're really giving me some cause and effect here, or they're really doing some compare contrast. And it's just more readable. So that makes my job a lot more fun and a lot less frustrating. So that that's the main benefit. And they're talking more and they're talking more on topic and they're talking more academically. It's real life, so it's not all the time. It's constantly a challenge, but there's just more opportunities and it's easier to redirect because the activities are so explicit and they keep moving and they keep popping and there's very small chunks of time to kind of walk them through different types of talking with each other. And a lot of them are fun. They allow students to get up and walk around and some of them involve music and it's just a lot more variety and a lot more fun and it just feels more productive. Can you share a story of a particular student? You don't need to tell a student's name or anything, but just one child that you witnessed achieved more than you would have expected or had a really positive learning experience in your class with Constructing Meaning? I'm thinking of a student that was a very early level English learner in a mainstream class. And he was pretty much at that learned helplessness level of dealing with school. He just didn't feel like he really could do anything. He just had a real tone of helplessness. You know, there's not a panacea or anything like that. It's not like snap your fingers and this thing just goes. It took a lot of struggle, but he was able to start using those resources. And it took him a minute to like overcome his mindset and to really start using the the scaffolding. And also I talked to his parents and it just seemed like there was a real vocabulary deficit too. So I encouraged, you know, whatever vocabulary development at home they could help him with, you know, like especially with adjectives and adverbs, he was really having trouble with that. So he kind of got word banked appropriately enough to be able to start plugging in his ideas. He did actually start writing thoughtful sentences and paragraphs and they were based on what we were talking about in class about what we were reading and he was talking to other students and he did develop over the course of the year and got more engaged and worked harder and more productively and started producing more writing wow well that's a fantastic success story Thank you for sharing that. So what teachers would you recommend check out Susanna Dutro's Constructing Meaning? I would recommend it to any teacher who has English learners in her classroom or his classroom. And I would also recommend it with the advice to reflect on who's actually learning English in your classroom and in particular, academic English. So I think it's useful in being more explicit about how to teach academic English to your students and helping students to acquire academic English. I mean, my feeling is that there's probably English learners everywhere in the United States. So I would think this could apply to anybody, but in particular classrooms where there are English learners pushed into mainstream classes. And then also they have materials, they have materials for sheltered English and also for English learners in English classes as well. Do they have materials that are good K-12, all content areas, or is it more for the English classes? It is K-12. The elementary levels are more for sheltered classes, I think. 
-hmm. And then for the secondary level, it's more for the mainstream classes, but it still works in the shelter classes as well. And just English classes or just humanities classes or could math and science teachers benefit from using this as well? Well, uh, thank you for that. (laughs) That's absolutely right, because the model curriculum standards expect literacy in all the subject areas. Actually, through through coaching a little on, on my own part, I was able to see teachers using these materials in math classes. It was pretty amazing because the new math standards also expect students to be able to explain what they're doing as they're learning math and show their thinking in solving problems. That was interesting to see because it was kind of a math class where students were not doing a lot of talking. And if they were, the impression that I got is that some students knew how to do the math and other students did not know how to do it. And inevitably, the students who were trying to explain what they were doing to the other students were not using the vocabulary of the math course, and they were not using any syntax. They were just using like a shorthand to say, well, you just do this, and then this goes here, and this goes here, and then you do that. I could see the teacher starting to be more explicit about teaching the vocabulary of the content, And then also he was using the cards and students were starting to, I mean, they were just scratching the surface, but they were starting to actually explain using the syntax cards and also using more vocabulary. So yeah, it should be across the board. I mean, all of the content classes need a lot of work in having students actually explaining what they're learning and to be able to articulate it academically. Wow. It sounds like Alameda is, again, kind of the cutting edge of really prioritizing professional learning and looking for what's next to best meet your students' needs. John, is there anything that you'd like to say to Susanna Dutro and anyone else who helped her with developing Constructing Meaning? Yeah, I just say thank you very much. I'm just so impressed and I just feel so lucky to be working in a place where I had access to learn about these curriculum materials, and I'm really lucky to be in a district where, you know, we have that level of professional development and coaching and collaboration and just gratitude. Thanks, John. So what's next for you in particular? Have you been hearing about at your district that you or your colleagues might be looking for curriculum-wise? Is there anything that we at Ed Curation can keep our eyes open for you all to make your jobs easier teaching students? One thing that's kind of on the horizon here is that we finally were able to change the schedule to have collaboration. I'm not sure if this kind of fits in the concept, but I think teachers need help with collaborative structures that are based on student work. I know the DeFores and their PLC, they have some protocols, but anything that could help invite teachers to participate in kind of a protocol or just a productive collaborative structure that would help teachers to learn more about what their students are doing in class and what the student needs are and how to address those needs. I think that sort of professional development would be really helpful, at least where I'm working at. That's good to hear. Are you familiar with the critical friends group protocols? No, that's a new thing. I haven't heard that. So we've used that a little bit in some districts here in Colorado. 
I'm actually not sure about the origin of the Critical Friends group. I don't want to misrepresent them or their work, but that's a good piece of feedback from you because I feel like the curriculum and professional development, for a long time, they've been in separate buckets. There's like a different budget item at the district level for each. You know, there's more money for curriculum and less money for professional development. Professional development's more expensive. But the truth is, is that when we improve student learning in this country, it's because those lines have been blurred and merged together in all the ways that you discussed on the show today. And so as we are helping to promote different curriculum products, if we can simultaneously be promoting these kinds of productive, collaborative structures for teachers to get smarter about implementing new resources, the students are going to be better served, which is, of course, the point. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And I mean, I've worked with you in the past and implementation is definitely the heavy lifting. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, John. I really appreciate talking to you. This was a great conversation and I look forward to being able to share about your work and constructing meaning with our listeners across the country. Well, thanks, Tim. It was nice talking to you today. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about a curriculum resource that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com.